morning and welcome back. The question before us in our devotional this morning is this, upon what does your faith rest? In the church in Corinth, there were Jews whose faith rested on signs. We see this going back to the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is having a conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees, and it says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And also in the church at Corinth, there were Greeks whose faith rested on wisdom. Paul has already established that this was not godly wisdom rooted in God's revelation of himself. This was worldly wisdom and speculation. Paul experienced this when he went to Athens. In Acts 17, we are told, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing of something new. If we are not careful, our faith can rest on things like comfort and affluence, thinking if we're comfortable, then God has blessed us. Or, as is sometimes the case, the belief that if we get the right people elected, everything will be fine. Paul's desire is to ground their faith and our faith in something greater, the power of God. And to that end, in the passage before us today, Paul will remind the Corinthians how the gospel was first brought to them in the hopes that it will reorient them around the gospel wisdom that comes only from God. Listen now as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul visited the church sometime around A.D. 50, and he preached the gospel to the Corinthians there. Acts 18 records that Paul stayed in Corinth a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul reminds them that when he came to them, he did not come with lofty speech or wisdom. But remember, Paul was a well-trained Pharisee and was certainly capable of lofty speech and wisdom. He chose to come to them in weakness and with the simple message of the gospel for a reason. The Greeks loved rhetoric, but they weren't really concerned with the content. They wanted to hear something new. Paul didn't want the message of the gospel confused with worldly wisdom. When Paul first came to them, his only concern was preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul appears in this to be anti-intellectual, but that's not the case. Tomorrow we will learn that believers do need real godly wisdom that goes beyond this simple message, but we also learn that that is for the mature. The message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is foolishness to the world, but it is not the kind of foolishness that is simply dismissed by the world. The gospel creates conflict. Sometimes that conflict is little more than ridicule, but sometimes it brings with it persecution. Paul knew this very well, and throughout Scripture we see Paul stand up to this persecution. That makes Paul's confession in verse 3 significant. He says to them, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul was afraid. Paul was not a superman who was not affected by ridicule and threats. He came to Corinth and he was afraid. 
Every fear of rejection we may have while proclaiming the gospel, Paul had it too. He's just like us. When that fear strikes, it is easy to back down and adjust what we say to make it more palatable to our listeners. Since Paul experienced fear and trembling, I think it's fair to assume that he experienced that temptation as well. So what did Paul do in the face of fear? He says that his speech was not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul's delivery, but more importantly, the content of his preaching, was not what the Corinthians expected or were accustomed to. Paul knew that he did not need to dress the gospel up to make it appealing. He knew that the Spirit of God used the message preached to transform the hearts and minds of those hearing the word. When lives are transformed by the gospel, it gives evidence of the Spirit's work and of the power of God. That is why Paul was content to proclaim the simple message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He concludes by reminding them that their faith does not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. This ought to bring tremendous comfort and hope to us as members of Christ's church. The wisdom of man shifts and changes from generation to generation, decade to decade, and year to year. But the wisdom of God remains. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Fads come and go. But we can rest assured that the simple message of the gospel was the power of God then, and it is the power of God now. A couple of years after writing 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote another letter to the church. He says something in 2 Corinthians that is similar to what he says here in 1 Corinthians, but the imagery that he uses is beautiful. We are called to be teachers here at the Geneva School of Bernie. And I am sure that there are days we don't feel equipped and adequate to do the work. Let 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-12 through 12 be a comfort to you. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We are jars of clay, and yet God has entrusted the treasure of the gospel, to us. As jars of clay, we are subject to affliction, but the power of God will never be destroyed by it. We are called to proclaim the gospel and manifest the life of Jesus in our flesh, and God uses that to to manifest life to those to whom we are called upon to serve. Take heart that the power of the gospel is manifest in our weakness. Today, I want to pray for our athletes and our coaches, in particular that they would play hard and compete in a way that brings honor to Christ. When we are finished, I would encourage you to listen to Amazing Grace on the GSB devotional hymn playlist. Of course, the whole hymn is beautiful, but I am especially struck by the words at the beginning of verse 2. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved.'"
When God showed us grace, it opened our eyes to the magnitude of our sin and how because of that sin we deserved God's wrath. But then the gospel relieved our fears by showing us Christ, the one who bore God's wrath so that we might find new life in him. Please join me as we pray. Father, we are thankful for this word. As this school year has uh, been difficult with all of the adjustments and changes, you have been good to us. Uh, We have seen uh, you at work, even in the midst of these difficulties. You have provided us grace upon grace, and for that we are thankful. We are thankful, too, that our athletes are able to compete. We thank you for the volleyball team and the hard work that they have been putting in and the fact that they've been able to play games already in our own gym. That's a, that's a gift from you. We pray for our football team and our cross-country team as they continue uh, working and preparing. We pray your blessing upon them. And Father, I do pray that they would compete hard, that they would give it their all. But I also pray that you would allow them to compete in a way that is gracious and merciful and manifests the love and the grace of Christ, even as they compete. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you for this day. We ask you to bless it, and we pray that you would use these earthen vessels to manifest your goodness to the students to whom we are called to teach. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.